0: Welcome to the Iron Butterfly podcast, co-produced by the National Security Institute and the amazing women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer, and I will be your host. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States Intelligence Community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. Today, we are honored to bring you this special episode in partnership with Spookstock, a charitable organization that provides education, mentorship, and career opportunities for children and spouses of fallen CIA and special operations heroes. These are the stories of three amazing people, Marie, Allison, and Jacob, who received scholarships from Spookstock after the passing of their loved ones. Marie is a lover of all things adventurous. When she is not spending her time with her nose in the books as a current second year law student at the University of Wisconsin Law School, she loves getting up to mayhem, ranging anywhere from bungee jumping off cliffs to standing in the front row of a rock concert. She loves her friends, family, and those in the intelligence community who have supported her and helped her grow and promises to pay them back with on-call legal assistance once she's a big wig attorney. Allison is a professional storyteller and news anchor currently living on the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast she graduated from Pepperdine University with a BA in broadcast journalism and a minor in political science since graduation she has been chasing down leads and telling stories from local newsrooms across the southeast Allison is thankful for all of those who helped her make her dreams of sharing stories possible including many in the intelligence community her goal is to one day be able to pay it forward. Jacob is a passionate and driven storyteller out of Orlando, Florida, where he and his wife reside. Jacob graduated from the University of San Diego with a bachelor's degree in architecture and is the founder and CEO of Poor Bear Stories, a video production company. He is the surviving son of Senior Chief Petty Officer Dan Healy, who was killed in action June 28, 2005, during Operation Red Wings. Both Jacob and his wife, Katie, are Special Operations Warrior Foundation Ambassadors and have always enjoyed advocating for nonprofit organizations with similar missions. Marie, Allison, Jacob, we are really honored to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. As you all know, this podcast is to share stories of people in the intelligence community. And in the same light, we recognize that you three are not in the IC, but you have amazing stories to tell. We'd like to start off by learning a bit about each of you. So, Allison, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love for you to kick us off off by sharing a bit about yourself. Right. um, I am
1: Allison Spann, and I am 29 years old and currently working as a local news anchor in Biloxi, Mississippi. My father was Johnny Michael Spann, and he was the first American killed after 9-11. He was a CIA paramilitary officer, and through his line of work, we all three of his kids, me and my sister and my brother, were all able to receive a scholarship through the CIA Officer's Memorial Foundation, and Bookstock does a fantastic job of raising money for scholarships, at scholarship, and to others. So, um, just great work that they do uh, to help, you know, kids who come from such unique
2: backgrounds. Thanks, Allison. Marie, uh, I'm Marie. Um, right now, I'm plopped in Madison, Wisconsin, but uh, I've been traversing around for the past few years. I originally grew up just outside of D.C. in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, went to school uh, all through childhood, adolescence, but then went to North Carolina uh wake forest university to actually study math and i did my research in elementary number theory um and i had intended upon being uh, a math teacher actually and i very specifically had this vision of myself being like a a zany math professor (laughs) um but uh, I decided after I finished college that I was young and I still wanted to do some more exploring. So I spent a year in the the Czech Republic in Prague teaching English to professional adults. And it was actually during that time that I realized I I didn't necessarily want to go down that career path that I had planned for myself. Went through a small but necessary existential crisis as to what to do <laughs> from there, um, and decided that I. I wanted to go to law school and because I wanted some professional experience before I went headfirst into my next career choice. Um, I got a job as a paralegal on the other side of the globe in Alaska an immigration law firm. And then worked there for a year. Um, and then decided to go to law school in at the university of Wisconsin, um, And I'm in my second year here, definitely has its highs and lows, but I think overall a really positive experience that I'm super thankful for. And one of the reasons I'm able to have this amazing privilege in my life is because of the scholarship I got from the Defense Intelligence Memorial Foundation.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Marie. Jacob, would you like to uh, uh, round us out?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, Marie, sweet Wisconsin accent, by the way.
2: I, <laughs> I, I don't even, it's funny you say that because I don't hear now, but then I'll talk to family and then they'll be like, you just said bag. And I'm like, Oh no.
3: <laughs> yeah. You said one word Wisconsin. So a little bit about me. My name is Jacob Centeno. I'm currently living in Orlando, Florida with my wife and little pup Bilbo Baggins. Um, <laughs> I run a production company. It's my dream, my passion, and something that I've done for a really long time. My dad was um, Senior Chief uh, Navy SEAL Dan Healy, who was killed in action in 2005 of June 28th during Operation Red Wings. He served a pretty good career in the SEAL teams. Thanks to Special Operations Warrior Foundation, I was able to attend college and graduate debt free which is amazing and I'm incredibly grateful. And um it's always amazing being able to do things uh in the community so to speak um and just help pay it forward, give back, raise awareness um and just sort of spread the love um that resonates in this community. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, I think I can say this has been the best intro we've had in the three seasons of iron butterfly. So thank you for, uh, for sharing a little bit about yourselves. Um, so each of you have a special connection to the defense and intelligence community, having lost a family member and sacrifice for our country. Would you mind sharing more with us about your loved ones? Marie, would you start us off?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, my mother, was a civilian employee at the defense intelligence agency um she was working at the pentagon um on 9 11 2001 and she was killed during that terrorist attack um i uh i was only five years old at that time so I actually didn't know her super well. A lot of what I know about her uh, comes from other people's stories and explanations. Um, People cite different mannerisms about me that they say are just like intrinsically so similar to hers, Um, but she was described as kind of like the, the glue of the family. She was the one that would always arrange the holiday family gatherings and birthdays and brought this air of positivity um, to every sort of room that she walked into. So, of course, when people compare me to her, I'm incredibly flattered, beyond flattered. It definitely feels like a a high bar to meet, but I I love to hear that there's parts of me that remind others of her. and one of the things that people love to bring up was honestly, though, uh, her horrible uh, weird and weird sense of pregnancy fashion when she was pregnant <laughs> with me. She
1: had wore
2: apparently <laughs> these ginormous, like, oversized dresses that kind of just made her look like a patterned garbage bag. And I love it. And if I ever get pregnant, I'm doing exactly that because I think it is quite a bold move. Um but she she seemed just like the most loving and empathetic of of people that uh people knew and very hard working too you know she she made an impression upon the people that she, she met at work and, and her, her, in her line of work, but then in the personal spheres as well, just made people feel like they were heard and appreciated. Um, would have loved to have had more time to get to know her, but I, I do really treasure and ch- cherish the, the memories that I do have before she passed away.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Marie. And you know what? I've only spoken with you a couple of times, but I can already tell um, you are the life of the party. And I can't wait to meet you in person because <laughs> I, I'm sure you're just as fun um, in person as you are on the phone. <laughs> well, thank you. I thank you. <laughs> so thanks, Marie. Uh, Jacob, would you would you like to um, go next?
3: Yeah, thank you. So my dad... You know, first and foremost, what I miss most is his laugh. I've actually only been able to find one other person since who laughs like my dad. It's this goofy air, just filled with air chuckle. No laugh, just air. And um, I miss that so much. He was very stoic, um, which is why his, uh, his laugh makes sense. He, I, I don't think he liked giving people the satisfaction of like giving them a full laugh. So, <laughs> um, you know, just, um, built like a tank, just a huge chest, um, barrel chested, as what a lot of his teammates say, uh, worked out a lot, loved working out and, um, just carried you know, carried himself around s- sort of very stoic walking tall, um, but had a goofy side with his kids where we could get away with anything around him. Me and my sister loved playing jokes, practical jokes on him. And after growing up and seeing how respected and revered he was in the silk community, it was like kind of horrifying that we got away with so much around him, <laughs> but um, you know, he absolutely loved his kids um, them and would do anything for them. He was 100% a family man and, and, um, you know, was also the glue in the family. My, um, my dad remarried and had two, um, half sisters and, uh, was saw no difference and wanted to make sure that we, um, saw no difference and just grew up with each other. And knowing that we were full siblings. Um, and that just sorta um, you know, that's the way he was for for everything. Um uh family is um it's almost like family was not blood, you know, it's who you make it. And and so his brotherhood, the guys in the teams, I mean, they were absolutely his brothers. I mean, they were closer than family and we saw that whether it was at like a family barbecue or a team barbecue or golfing with the guys or shooting with the guys. Um, they were absolutely his brothers and, and, um, he, he knew how to construct a family at home. So
0: I love that so much. I I wrote it down. Family is what you make it. Um, because he he lived that with his family and he lived that with his teammates. And I just, I, I love that. So thank you for sharing. Elson,
1: would you like to share a few things? Absolutely. I have to say um, my upbringing was much different, Jacob. My dad did not let us get away with anything. He <laughs> spent eight years in the Marine Corps and he sort of ran the household like that. He was very strict and sort of, you know, always had a certain way that you make the bed and, you know, a certain routine. So he, he sort of always kept that military background with him. Um, I was only nine years old when my dad was killed in Afghanistan. So, uh, like Marie, a lot of what I know of him, um, is from family members and his teammates and people that I meet within this community. And it's so interesting because, you know, everyone has a different story to tell about him. And with us, he was sort of always, um, I guess, serious and stoic. It was hard to get him to crack a smile. But talking to some of his teammates, he was he had a really dry sense of humor and he was a funny guy. Um, I always think about the fact that. It's it's just so strange that I will never know my dad as an adult. My version of my dad will always uh, be the nine-year-old version that I have in my head, what I thought of him at nine years old. So it's really, really cool to be involved in a community like this and kind of get to know who my dad was as an adult. Um, But growing up as a kid, uh, he was a super serious guy. He had rules that he had set for us. But he he was also, he was really fun. You know, he would come home and we would get into tickle fights. We also, my sister and I loved to play pranks on him. I remember one time, we always did church on Sundays, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And one time in between, you know, church service, he had taken a nap. And we painted his toes hot pink, and he woke up totally it. horrified <laughs> that we had done that to him. But we we love to play pranks on him, and yeah, he was he was a serious guy. He took his job, you know, very seriously. He really really believed in the mission. Um, you know, he was he full in. You know, heart was all in that uh, dry sense of humor. He didn't talk a lot, but when he did talk, it always had you know meaning behind it or you know, if he did crack a joke, it was always a really funny joke. So, um, he's, you know, very missed obviously by my family. I see that. And, you know, his younger sisters, you know, they lost their older brother and, um, obviously devastating for them, devastating for my grandparents and, uh, devastating for his teammates. I remember my stepmother told me a story that, um, probably about a year after my dad died, one of his teammates on Team Alpha, who had gone um, over to Afghanistan with him, uh, was going on a mission, undisclosed location. I have no idea where, but it was evidently like a place that my dad and him had talked about going and a mission that my dad had really wanted to go on. And my stepmom was seeing um, his teammate off. And she was like, You know, I'm really sorry that Mike can't be here. And his teammate pulled a picture out of his pocket. Oh, of my, my dad goodness. and said, but he is, he's with me. He is here. And so that kind of just, I, for me, it, it goes to show just how much, um, you know, he really meant to his teammates too.
2: Wow.
0: Thank you, Allison. That was, uh, that was, uh, gave me chills that story. Thank you for sharing that. So Jacob, I was wondering, I know you, you know, kind of introduced your dad to us, but I was wondering if you could share with us any favorite memories or stories you have about your dad.
3: Yeah. So I thought really long and hard about this one and just decided I have to go with the one that means the most to me. And it was during the last, uh, months of his life. He actually, I was a gamer and I came to find out later in life that he was a gamer and, um, Uh, sort of like a a troubled gamer so much that he would spend his entire paycheck as a teenager on the arcade and get in a lot of trouble for it. Um, Didn't find this out until much later, but it showed how empathetic he was to me as a gamer. And so I was 14 uh, in between 14 and 15 while he was deployed in Afghanistan. And he actually created a, You know, a lot of people aren't going to know this game, but it's super old school, classic RuneScape. And he created an account to play with me from Afghanistan. And it was actually a really, really cool thing because one, he couldn't talk on the phone for very long from Afghanistan. It was still that, I mean, we didn't have FaceTime or Skype or anything like that, so we were limited in our communication. Um, and so it was great that he, like, he was able to run around with like a pickaxe and wood armor or copper armor and hunt goblins with me, um, and die a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, he died a lot. Um, it was embarrassing. I felt like I spent most of my time picking him up as he respond, but, um, it was really, really cool. And growing up, it's just something that I've always reflected on and almost aspire to be with my kids. You know, he was this like hardened war torn man kind of going on missions and doing crazy stuff every, you know, every night and somehow found the spirit energy time to log into a, a a pixelated game and spend some time with me, so definitely one of my favorite memories.
0: Well, and what a good role model for for you to have and for you to emulate as a dad, right? I mean, that's that's awesome. Thank you, Elson. I I know you shared a, a story about uh, about your dad, but I was wondering if you could share you know one of your favorite memories with us.
1: Yeah, so I think I told you guys about this during the prep call, but it's just the story is just so indicative of, of who my dad was always serious. But growing up, my one of my favorite games was hide and go seek. And I just loved to play it like relentlessly. And um, one time my dad and I were playing and he found me and I was like, how did you find me? And he was like, you were breathing so heavy. But here I've got this this trick that I learned in training and you'll become invisible. And of course I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, what what's this trick? Mm-hmm. And he told me about this training method. Well, I later learned after he passed that it was a training method that they learned at the farm. But he was like to become invisible, you have to like get down on the ground in sort of this like kneeling position and envision an orange triangle. And he's like, You have to envision the orange triangle, you'll become invisible. As a kid, I actually believed that oh my gosh, I'm actually going to be invisible. But later when I was telling myself on this story, it's a training method that they use at the farm. And the whole envisioning of the orange triangle is so that you are so focused on that, that it regulates your breathing. And so it is harder to find you if you're hiding or or what have you. It's just a method to regulate your breathing. But it's just indicative how like how serious he was about everything like oh here's how you can master hide and go seek (laughs) is by using this technique so that kind of always makes me laugh
0: well what a cool story to um to you know, a memory that you had, and you uh, something that stuck, like really stuck out to you, right? And then finding out later that there's even more meaning behind that story, right? Um, I just think that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Allison. So, Marie, um, we uh, we talked previously, and you shared with us that your mom's passing transformed your relationship with your father, um, and it was it's it's quite an amazing relationship. Would you mind sharing with us and telling us more about your dad and why your relationship with him means so much to you?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm going to start off the bat by saying I am my dad's number one fan. And honestly, I got to keep myself from going on too long during this recording about it or else it's just going to become a podcast about how amazing Joseph Mickley is. So (laughs) I'll keep myself in check. Um, You know, it is no debate that my mother passing away is a, a tragedy, and it's it's horrible that it happened. Um, but and so it, it makes it all the trickier to to acknowledge that and know that, but then also look at the way it transformed uh, my relationship with my dad because it suddenly became. Um, this family dynamic where I was very attached to my mother, apparently like just on her hip constantly. And my dad was at work a lot. Um, and so I spent a lot more time with her, was very close with her. And then all of a sudden in an instant, he was a father with a five-year-old having to take care of this five-year-old girl by himself, um, was working full time and, and had to figure out how to adjust for that, um, our family extended family was very supportive, but like still he was going to have to, to come to terms with the day to day that I was going to grow up with just him. Um, and it's amazing. Honestly, again, it's so, so horrible that my mother died, but because of this, because of these forced circumstances, I got so much closer to my dad. he, very quickly became my best friend. I was really into dance um, when I was young, actually up until college too. Um, I was the the classic little girl in the ballerina tutus and we would go to Disney World for dance competitions and bless my dad's heart. He was the singular dad in a sea of dance moms um, and he was. He learned how to like blow dry and brush and braid my hair and do my makeup. Um, he was the one that he would uh, be like the the ref at my soccer games, and he took time so much time out of his work schedule um, and what his previously like established way of living was. And and conformed his his life to adjust for the fact that I needed that solid source to grow up with, um, and. It was grand, too, because I, I'll fully acknowledge I, I was a huge brat as a kid. <laughs> I, like did not give him an easy time at all. And the only reason I can say I was a brat back then is because I'm subjectively a, a well-rounded person now. But, oh, my goodness. Back then, I was intolerable. And it's a good thing I look cute, too, or else I would not have gotten away with my behavior. Um, And so I, I didn't give him an easy time through all these dance recitals and these soccer games. Like if he pulled on at my hair in a particular way, it was like, I'd be tears in an instant, but he was endlessly patient. I remember times where I'd come into the living room and he'd be laying on the couch and, he'd obviously be trying to take a nap from like the endlessness that was parenting a child by himself. And I'd come up and I'd poke him in the face and be like, are you sleeping? (laughs) Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? He's like, no, I'm just resting my eyes. And I'm like, "Mm, looks like you're sleeping. Um, but another thing I'm so thankful for from him is the fact that he really embraced the need to, to come to terms and acknowledge, one's mental health in the wake of this type of trauma i mean after 911 he he sought out help for himself in regards to to dealing with this sort of emotional experiences that he was having um, he put me in what was called friends group which was kind of like a, a child group type therapy where basically you just play. And I was with other kids who had lost um, their parents as well, but, you know, that's the type of, the type of therapy that kids need. Um, and then all throughout my life as I struggled, because, you know, as I'm sure Jacob and Allison, you know, the, the grieving process, it goes process, it up goes- and down. Um, there's. Really no time where you're like well it's i'm completely over it and i 'm okay now um, and so going through that sort of experience growing up, um, he was very supportive and and made sure that at times when I was having uh, a particular particularly rougher patch of of remembering or or missing out on that time I could have had with my mother. He would encourage me to seek out a therapist and, and get professional help and and also kind of acknowledging the the bounds and the extents of what he, he could do, which I thought was like very hard for him because as a father, he wanted to give me everything and wanted to provide for me and support me in every way possible. And so for him to say, you know, I hear the struggle that you're going through and, but I might be only able to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. And you might need to, to seek someone professional to really help you through this. I thought that was incredible of him. Um, and now as I'm an adult, our Relationship has even further transformed in such a beautiful way because um, we have been able to talk more openly um, about some of the things that were a little bit harder to growing up about losing my mother, um, and it's nice because I think in a way I, I've learned so much from him. And as much as I've been told that I'm intrinsically a lot like my mother, there's a lot of things that as I'm getting older. I know now, um, uh, hearing stories or like little snippets from my dad are, are much like the way my dad was when he was my age. I mean, he'll slyly slip in. He's like, oh yeah. When I was hang gliding in Germany, I was like, okay, hold the phone. Good sir. <laughs> you, when you were what? And then, but then it, it kind of, it hits me and I'm like, oh, oh, I went bungee jumping in New Zealand. That sounds like I'm my daughter's father. Um, and it's great though, so as much as like I've learned from him and I realize intrinsically I'm so much like him, I do think in a way um he's been able to kinda uh learn from me an extent because I it initially I'm a bit more of like an expressive feeling person and I want to talk about how I feel more. Um and by almost initially kind of forcing those conversations with my dad. um, It, it, I think it helped our relationship and being able to say like, I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're experiencing and I might not get it completely right now, but I, I want to be here alongside you to learn what's going on and like be able to help myself to um, accept Extend the bounds of like my emotional empathy and my compassion and understanding for the sake of our relationship um, my dad is super supportive of all the outlandish things I decide to do i I think. There's a little bit of a selfish reason because every time I go to a new place, he's like, ooh, vacation. I can go like visit Alaska or visit the Czech Republic. And you know what? He deserves it. I'm totally cool with that. Um, and he was actually the person that. Encouraged me to apply to law school uh, when I was going through, as I said, that existential crisis of what do I do with what I've got and how I'm moving forward. Uh, I I have to thank him so much for really kind of clearing things up for me and and helping me in the times that I felt kind of lost. Um, he yeah, <laughs> he's my best friend, my greatest confidant. I. think it's amazing that I've been able to have the sort of relationship I have with him. And especially in light of the tragedy of, of my mother dying, because it could have gone. So in the opposite direction, we could have gotten cold, we could have gotten distant, but it, it didn't happen that way. And I'm so thankful.
0: Wow. Well, all three of you, thank you so much. This is, uh, it's just, it's so beautiful that um, you have these wonderful stories and you have these things to share with us. So thank you so much. So, Jacob and Allison, both of you grew up to become professional storytellers. Why do you think it's important to continue to tell these stories about your family? Allison, why don't we start with you? All
1: right. So, I guess I'll just start by why I got into storytelling. Um, I guess new specifically, I got into news just because that was such a part of my life growing up. You know, my dad passed away when I was nine. But um, in all the years prior to that, he, you know, my parents never shielded me from the news. Like I would come home and and we would watch the nightly news. And he always preached the importance of um, always being informed, you know, being an informed voter. You always need to know what's going on. Um, and then the storytelling aspect, I feel like I grew up, um, and I, I, I wouldn't say I felt isolated, but I felt so different than everybody else. Um, I felt like I was the only one who, um, well, I lost both parents, but, you know, who lost parents and who had this terrible story. And then I got to college, and I realized that everyone has a story. Everyone has a story to tell. And I felt really compelled to share these stories because just hearing other people's stories helped me not to feel so alone. I didn't feel so different anymore. And I just think it's important to um, to share people's stories for that reason. I think it's important to give people an outlet uh, to share what they've gone through. Uh, to help other people, to warn other people, to inform other people, right? There's so many um, things that can come from sharing someone's story. And I just feel like it's it's such an important thing, and it's something I feel really passionate about and compelled to do. Um, you know, and for me, I think it's important for, you know, children like us to, um, to share stories because it's sort of a way to help your, your parent live on. You know, you never want your parent to be forgotten. And you know, my dad, this year, uh, actually Thanksgiving this year will be 20 years uh, to the day that he passed away. And, you just never want him to be forgotten. So I feel like every time that I'm able to like do an interview or uh, do an event within this community, it's sort of a way of keeping him alive uh, and keeping his story alive. And I feel like so many people in this community have such cool stories they have such cool backgrounds and i think it's just an important thing even you know emotionally to be able to talk about them and keep their stories alive and i just feel like they're all such incredible people so i feel like there's a lot of good that can come from sharing their stories
0: thank you so jacob what you, uh why do you think it's important to continue to tell these stories about your your dad
3: To start, you know, Navy SEALs have a really bad stigma about publicity and movies and news articles, right? Like they get the limelight way too much. And (laughs) my dad was absolutely of, you know, the, he was, you know, if you said you were a Navy SEAL or warrior trident in public, he was going to hurt you. Like, he, especially his, his guys, you know, the guys in his platoon. Um, and you see this in a lot of the teams, like guys will say, Oh, we work at Walmart or we work at, you know, Taco Bell. Like they never say they're a Navy SEAL. Um, and it's very much um, a, a tradition with the old um, teams or Navy SEALs. And um, so telling my dad's story, I very much adopted that mindset, but What was great was my mom had told me, um, about how my dad was, um, he was, he, he had seen a couple of his teammates retire or get out of the teams and go to Hollywood or go into journalism. And he he would tell my mom, that's pretty cool. huh That's pretty cool. (laughs) And he wouldn't say it too loud, you know, Uh but it was for me, I took that and I ran with it. Um, it's never about shining the light on us. It's about, you know, telling other stories. It's about shining the light on the world and never seeking recognition. And so I do my best to adopt that practice and what I do and those values and what I do. Um, I'll admit I wanted to tell his story so bad, you know, just my love for him, my love for his legacy. I, I spent two years writing a book and interviewing everybody um, that knew him or grew up with him or had a significant impact on him. And, uh, you know, it came out to like 250,000 words or something like that and was definitely ready to be edited and had, you know, just this, um, coming to that you know it wasn't him it wasn't who he was and if i was being honest with that um there were other ways to tell stories there were other stories to tell and um it's absolutely what he would have wanted he would have wanted me to tell other people's stories and so so you know i don't necessarily shine the light on my family anymore too much but i find a ton of solace and fulfillment in telling other people's stories in taking the compassion that i have gained and the empathy that i have gained and and um in helping to tell other people's stories cuz just like you know Allison said, everybody's got a story.
1: But I just want to say, Jacob, I, I really uh, resonate with that so much because I feel like sometimes the way that certain media outlets approach people um, in trying to get the latest headline or get their story, they don't do it in the right way. I mean, that was the experience I had. And so that really, really, like, compelled me to be super compassionate and empathetic when I am approaching especially a person with, like, a tragic story and trying to get an interview. Um, and they always end up thanking me like, oh, thank you so much for approaching me in that way because um, a lot of people don't do that. And I guess maybe it's just having gone through tragedy. It's something that like we've gained this ability to be more empathetic um, when dealing with people who've gone through tragedy. So I just want to say that really, that part really, really resonated with me.
0: I love that. So I'm wondering if you, both of you, could actually share with me something more general um, because you are storytellers um, and tell me what you think makes a good story, just generally. Jacob, do you want to start?
3: Sure. So just like Marie said, this could be a podcast on its own. I, (laughs) I love storytelling. I've always been a really good liar. And I think that's helped me as I've grown up. (laughs) <laughs> um, no lying is not, you know, the, the biggest trait you need to be a good storyteller. Um, for me, I constantly strive for it and just pursue to find the heart and everything. And if I can't find the heart, it's, it does not interest me at all. Um, and this absolutely applies to everything. I mean, I have roofing clients, I have steakhouse clients, it doesn't matter whether it's a short documentary a narrative, but if I can't find the heart in the story, it just does not interest me. So, so yeah, I'm constantly, um, looking for that in my stories and if I can't find it, I just move on.
0: I love that.
1: Thank you. Allison. what about you? In my line of work doing news, uh, what makes a good story is you have to have a really good main character who is willing to talk to you and who is willing to do the work to answer the hard questions. And I find that a lot of people have good stories, but some of them are just not in a place to open up and and uh, speak about it. So, you know, for me, you just have to have a main character who's really willing to open up and, like Jacob said, show you the heart of the story. I recently did... Um, a story um, with a woman who lost her daughter to domestic violence. And it was really, really hard for her to talk about it, but she did open up and talk about uh, some of those details um, that were kind of shocking, I think, for people to hear, but also so important to shine a light on domestic violence. And I was really, really grateful that you know she was willing to answer the questions I had and talk about the hard stuff to raise awareness for that and it, it ended up being such a good story just because of her because she was a great main character with a really powerful story to tell and she was willing to answer all of those questions that I had awesome so marie you had mentioned that you spent some
0: time traveling before you started law school why has traveling been such a big part of your life
2: because of the nature in which my, uh, my mother passed away. I, I, it was the time afterwards was very fraught with, um, anxiety towards people of other cultures. Um, I found myself as a kid, very suddenly, uh, surrounded by people that were automatically wary of anyone from a Middle Eastern country. Um, And you know, it's, it's a difficult line to, to walk upon. Um, I could, I suppose, understand their fear. uh, But of course, with any sort of thing like that, um, it, it's far too generalized um, of an application of a, of a fear. Um, You know, people lost their loved ones because of the actions of a, of a terrorist group. But I, I, didn't want to fall prey to feeling the same way that th- everyone from a certain country or a certain culture was out to get me and out to get my family. Um, it, it just, it, it felt like an urgent need um, to, to not fall into the same sort of control of being afraid to encounter other, other cultures and other people. Um, so as soon as I could, you know, in my own independent life, get out and expose myself to more of the world, that's what I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to be controlled by this fear. To me, it was like, if I was going to be controlled by fear, you're kind of letting the terrorists win. I don't know. It, it, mm-hmm. you're, you're um, you're letting them keep you in a, a, a box unintentionally. Um, and they're taking away so much more than just your loved one, but like your freedom and your ability to understand and explore different places and different people. Um, and so, yeah, I really wanted to combat that, uh, I started off, you know, in small increments with study abroad in college. I, I went to Denmark and, and Scotland and Australia. Um, but then, you know, I, I ended up going to like the Philippines. I volunteered as an English teacher for a little bit. Um, I, uh, I, I went backpacking in Costa Rica. I just really wanted to put myself frankly in situations where I kind of felt like the stupid one. And I like, didn't know necessarily what to do. Um, and it, Needed to be a time for me to just actively listen and observe and not be the, the person that's running the show, uh, but to, to learn from other people and let it humble me, but then also strengthen myself because i i think that there's a lot to be learned from putting yourself in in situations where you don't necessarily know completely what's going on not to an unsafe point i mean i've had some debates with my family that i have kind of crossed the line maybe a couple times but then then that's another conversation but i i think that there's a lot to learn and and each time that I would put myself in situations that, um, I felt were new and required adaptability, you know, it, it broadens the threshold of, of what I felt like I could take on and what I felt like I could handle. And it, it rejuvenates you. It puts this faith in yourself that, oh my gosh, I can, I can take on a lot more than I thought. And before, like it, without me ever really actively acknowledging it, that fear I'd had growing up that I was going to end up being like some of the people that I, I grew up around, you know, the, their fear of, of different cultures. It just so seamlessly didn't happen to me. And, and there wasn't ever any particular time during my travels where I thought, well, hot dang, I did it. I'm I'm not afraid of anyone. Like there's, it, it was like years into it. And I thought, okay, I think I'm adequately open. I, I don't know. It just, it, it was a very smooth sort of thing. And of course, I still want to do a lot more growing and a lot more exploring because I never think that there's any sort of ending point to that. It's unfortunate the ways in, in which I think the ways in which that fear can control us unintentionally. And so I, I don't want the death of my mother, this woman who seems so loving and seems so compassionate and forgiving. Um, it seems counterintuitive to let myself be dictated by fear of other people or, or other cultures or places.
0: I find that profound in so many different ways because you were a young girl and grew into an adolescent and then a young adult. And to be that, there are so many different words you could use, but self-aware and just, uh, you know, you were conscious of not wanting to fall into that um scared being scared of of different cultures or experiences and and quite frankly you went the opposite way and you embraced that you said no i want to learn as much as i can about as many people as i can and as many countries as i can i just i find that so amazing um for someone who was young i mean it it's uh, i don't know i i i just think it's it's
3: remarkable I think, Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Can I add something to you? Cause I very much relate. Right. So I think I had a like really sideways perspective though, which was I was traumatized by my dad dying so young that I kind of had this, like when you said I've like, I found myself in dangerous situations. I was like, Oh cool. We get each other. Because I had like this, my dad died at 36 bar and I could push all the way up to that. I could push to death, right? So I would I would push myself through uncomfortable situations, through doing crazy th- things, um, traveling to places that everybody else said they were scared to go, um, because I would certainly not find myself dead before 36, you you know, like that was my standard. And so I can, I don't know. I wonder if that's, uh, that had something to do with it for you too, where you're like, well, you know, my mom died young, so I can push my life to this threshold. Like- it's
2: funny, actually. Um, I
3: totally understand what you're saying, but because I was so young,
2: my mother to me in my mind was always like ageless. I, I, she was this amorphous kind of angel of a woman that could have been 18 or could have been 60. Um, I think as I got older, maybe I had more acknowledgement of that because, uh, for one, I had more knowledge of like my mother as an actual human being. Um, not this built up image of her, but, um, but then also aging myself, I was like, oh, hot dang, I'm not that far away from him. <laughs> I got married. Um, and, and so, yeah, that has come later on that, that sort of threshold too. Um, but then I think what might play into it a bit more is, um, some of like my my dad's encouragements towards adventure and travel too um and since like he's still alive and he's still adventuring it's it doesn't I don't have like a solid threshold in place necessarily I love that
0: so Allison, you are a newsacre. Jacob, you now own your own production company. And Marie, you are a law student. How did each of you decide to take the path that you're on now? Allison, I'd like to start with you.
1: I kind of touched on this earlier, but again, I, I grew up, my dad preaching to me to always be super informed. We always had the news on. He never shied away from the realities or showing me rather the realities of the world. And so for me... It's really important uh, to be an informed citizen, to be an informed voter. And I kind of always had a desire to, you know, make sure that people were informed. And then the other part is having gone through such traumatic events and feeling so different growing up and then becoming an adult and realizing the reality of the world is that everyone has um, traumatic things that have happened to them. I'm not the only one who's lost their parents. It really, really, uh, I guess, compelled me to want to share stories to to want to bring to light. Um, You know, just, you know, I work in local news. So like just within the small community I live in, there's so many incredible stories, uh, so many heartwarming stories, so many heart wrenching stories. And it's uh, really a, pleasure to be able to share those stories of our, you know, average everyday citizens that you you don't often hear about who are just, you know, kind of quietly in a community in South Mississippi, but have an incredible story to share. And then we had some really bad experiences um, with what I felt as a kid with news media after my dad died. Specifically what comes to mind is doing the Oprah Winfrey show. I was nine years old. We did not go into the studio, but she had two producers that came to our house in Virginia. And it was just the worst experience, like one of the worst experiences of my life. They took us to a playground mm-hmm. and they kicked the other to- other kids off like the playground equipment so like could get video of us on the playground. I was like, I was, I wanted to go home. My family was going back home to Alabama and I wanted to be able to see them before they left. And they ended up taking way more time than they told us they were going to take. And they just, in my perspective from a kid did not handle that situation well at all. And because of sort of how we were treated, it really motivated me to not only share people's stories, but share them in a compassionate way, uh, share them in a way that, is empathetic and acknowledges, you know, the difficulties that they're going through and just like be very careful with how I tell stories, whether it's, you know, about a mom who lost a daughter to domestic violence or a mom who lost her son to the system, um, you know, through incarceration. Like I always just am super mindful of, you know, the story that they're sharing and, and the impact that it's had on them. And and then another reason I will say is I, grew up watching news, but I realized the vast impact the news had when I took a trip to Afghanistan when I was 10 years old. And we were staying with General Dostum, who my dad worked with in Afghanistan at one of his, we were staying at one of his houses, and he had four TVs in his living room, and it was like Fox News, CNN. And it just, I was like, wow, like, the news, like, you can have such a big impact. Like, people in Afghanistan are, you know, watching... Um, Fox News right now they're watching CNN um, I'm not everyone obviously but it just showed me um, you know like what a what a big impact you can have um, you know just by sharing and telling stories and um, even if it's not stories just informative information that uh, the public may not otherwise inform themselves on but if they're watching the nightly news and you're giving the facts out Um as I like to think we do in local news, I can't speak to the networks, but, um, you know, that they're going to find out some vital information that will help them in life. And I don't know, a bunch of factors contributed to, uh, the career path I'm on now, but those are the main ones.
0: Oh, wow. And what an impact you're now making, um, being in front of the camera now. Um, I, I, I love it. It's a full circle. Uh, Jacob, why don't you go next?
3: You know, the, one of the last letters, uh, emails that I received from my dad, he kind of drove the nail in, in the coffin. Um, metaphorically speaking, uh, he said, you know, never give up and always try your best and figuring that out growing up sucked. Like, what do I try my best on? what do I never give up on? You know, do I never give up on anything? I mean, you can really go sideways in your life. If you think that, you know, man, I really thought that this was the major for me. And here I am 10 years later in an occupation that I just do not like. Mm -hmm. And so figuring that out was, was really, really hard. But as an adult now with my production company, I feel like I understand it in a new light and it was about finding the thing where I can give all. It was about finding, um, what I can not give up on the stories I cannot give up on and trying my best to improve my craft. It was about finding that and, and sticking with it. And if I feel inside that it's right for me or that it can, that I can pour everything into it, then take it and run. And so I feel incredibly fortunate to have found it. I think it was just a matter of time. I've always sort of found myself with with a camera in my hand or trying to edit home videos. You know, you can look back to middle school when I did like ridiculously long video projects that nobody else did. <laughs> and you know, they were um I've heard them called God's Whisper before. God whispers Um, your calling or your purpose or your fulfilling thing. Oh wow, I love that. Along your life, and I feel fortunate to have found it. Um, you know, as young as I am, and um, so yeah, I've I've definitely found the thing where I can apply so much of myself. It happens to be telling you know, video stories or visual stories, animations or um you name it. That's great. So
0: Marie, what about
2: you? Yeah, so my decision to uh go to law school um came a little bit later on um than like what is traditionally done. Now like I said I thought I was gonna go on to be like a math teacher, math professor. Um but ultimately Uh, it, me deciding to go to law school had a lot to do with my kind of like academic intellectual interest, because obviously i very much like math. Um, I am one of those rare individuals, um, it's funny because sometimes like I'm atrocious at basic arithmetic, but like you give me a good long proof and I'm like, let's do this. Um, and, but the, the basic crux of my interest in math was I, I have like a very analytical sort of brain and, and I like being able to like structure sort of reasoning and, and logic. Um, but at the same time, uh, growing up. I also loved creative writing and I loved literature. Um, I never got any sort of like acknowledgement at school for my performance in math, but I would get like awards for my writing, um, which to me was very confusing. Um, but it, I think that law school presented this really fortunate option of converging these these two interests um, of having a very analytical and logical sort of brain, but then using my words to uh, bring about in describing this logic. Um, and then I'm also a really big people person, And while there are areas of the law that, uh, probably have less interaction with people, there was, uh, something a lot uh, working in the immigration law firm really solidified for me that I can have that super person to person sort of uh career and I can have this real life impact. Um, it's people's livelihoods that I can have a hand in. I'm so much of what I could do as an attorney, um, would really have a huge impact upon people's day-to-day lives. So it all came together in just kind of this beautiful way of like my own interests. And then my, you know, my want to still work with people and, and help people. It, It's happening this way. I'll tell you, I'll be completely honest with you folks, that sometimes during law school, I thought, well, what the heck have I done to myself? (laughs) Oh, dear God, no. Uh, But (laughs) when I step back from that and I, I remember the bubble that I'm in, I'm like, no, this was a good choice keep persevering through. And I, I am, I'm glad I made this choice, even though I started it in the midst of a pandemic. I, I am still happy. I made the choice.
0: Well, good. I'm glad you did too. So, you know, one of the things that is sometimes forgotten or taken for granted is the quality of person in the intelligence community. And that's something that we've really strived to share with the Iron Butterfly uh, community is sharing the stories and the quality of person. Um, are there any principles and values that you've picked up through your special connection with the intelligence community? Jacob, we'll start with you.
3: So for me, I mean, there's a ton that come to mind, but when I think about it personally, the one that I practice every day is humility and honesty. Mm -hmm. And so I'm fortunate enough to still like work with some of my dad's teammates, which is amazing. You know, they hire me for video or media consulting and I get to continue to cultivate those relationships with them. But, you know, I feel I feel like when I was a kid, my dad set certain standards of how you act around these guys and, and um, just the weight that they carry, how much they've sacrificed, how much they've trained. I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands of hours of dedicated rigorous training and that that comes with a ton of respect. And I can't tell you, Hey, Um, this is how much respect you need to give them. This is how you need to act around them. So I've always just understood it as this like weight. And so for me, um, sort of being in the community and get, you know, getting to, uh, for instance, go, uh, to basic underwater demolitions training. Like last month, I got to go see one of the newest, um, Class of Navy Seals graduate into their now profession. So, you know, I'm still involved in the community. I'm, I still get to participate in the intelligence community in certain ways, and and um, just the the forefront value is be incredibly humble and be honest. Um, you don't know a lot. You you know. So if you don't know a lot, admit it. Be honest about it, and be humble in everything and then everything follows working hard follows all that stuff follows but up front you need to be humble and you need to be honest
0: i think all of our listeners a part of this community right now are nodding their heads and agreeing a hundred percent
1: um allison would you like to go next i will echo um part of what jake said in and the humility of this community i even saw it with my own dad I think that, honestly, he would be embarrassed of all of the media coverage that he's gotten uh, just for being the first American who died after 9-11. That was just so um, uncharacteristic of the person he was. He, um, you know, would never want uh, the public to know or to sort of, like, revere him or think that he was a hero because he was just doing his job. He was just doing what he believed in, and I... I think that he had a lot of respect for his colleagues, um, you know, for other stars on the wall at CIA, but I don't think that he would ever believe that he was deserving of one. And so I think that humility is absolutely something that um, a lot of people in this community share. And then I also think resilience um, is something um, that this community, the entire community really embodies. You just think about... What, what they dedicate their life to. I mean, it's just such a um, strenuous and unusual existence. You know, uh, for a lot of the guys at CIA and men and women at CIA, um, they are doing all these incredible things behind the scenes. Um, nobody knows about it. People don't even know they work for CIA. So they have to balance this, like, work-life balance. And um, they go overseas. They go on these missions. They lose colleagues. They see these horrible things in the field and then come back home and um, continue on with life they continue on with their family something my dad always said um, to me growing up is never 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 give up and I feel like this community is a resilient community and they do everything for the greater good of other people and um, that's something that I found across the board. Marie? Yeah
2: I agree definitely with everything that Jacob and Allison have already said, and probably would only add just the um, unquestionable support that the people within the community show towards each other. Um, really, that it seems like an intrinsic understanding that the the whole can't work if you have one part of it not um, not working in in cohesion, and it's it's not a matter of of being harsh or or I don't know. Love, waiting for people to catch up. It's a matter of taking their arm and helping them to become part of that whole. um, I mean, I'm not even necessarily like, I don't work in the intelligence community. I I'd say I am an attenuated part of the uh, the intelligence community, but I feel the support. And I also feel um, that sort of responsibility to show support imbued into me as well.
0: Wow. Thank you all. Um, So as our listeners know, uh, we normally end each episode with the same question. So in keeping with the name of this podcast, Iron Butterfly, if you had to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? Or if you're comfortable, um, we would love for you to give a code name to your loved one and let us know what would it be and why. So Marie, we're going to start with you.
2: Okay, so this was very hard for me. And I, I, I will tell you, I sought out some third party help. I asked some friends and family. Um, I got a lot of mixed reviews. You guys, so <laughs> it made me, and, and that, that caused a whole like, oh my gosh, how am I being perceived? Um, I landed upon though, one of my friends said Sidewinder. Um, and when I asked him why, he was like, because. I can't I don't know what you're doing one minute to the next. You're making such lateral moves all the time. You one second you're being a very studious law student and the next senior, uh, second you're like, I'm gonna go skydiving. So I I like that one. I think I'm gonna roll with Sidewinder.
0: I love it. That's a great one. Uh Jacob, let's go with you next.
3: You're an agent of chaos, Marie. I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you in person too. Um so, so, um, I'll, I'll give you both. So my, my dad gave himself a code name. All right. He was the Ruski frog, which was also his RuneScape classic name. Nice. Um, so yeah, there's like no, you know, t- uh, TSS clearance there. Everybody knows now. Um, and then, <laughs> and then for me, um, for whatever reason, I've been called a bear. My, my, entire life. I feel like I give that vibe off or something. And, and so um my company name is Poor Bear Stories, but I think that I'm constantly trying to um shoot for quiet bear, uh which is kind of what I discussed with you guys. My dad was a quiet professional and um and just striving to be somebody who can not attract any attention to themselves but um pack a powerful punch pack a powerful story um i am striving to be the uh, quiet bear
0: i love that that's wonderful and allison you're going to round us out
1: so this was super difficult for me as well and i in the end decided to choose a code name for my dad and i took my inspiration from the iron butterfly and in just thinking about, like, who my dad was as a person, he was a super strong person. I mean, just talking to his teammates, they're like, when we went over there, we, like, Mike Spann was the last person, you know, that we thought would be the one that would not make it back. And just super strong. He had a, I wouldn't say a rough exterior. Like I said, he was just really quiet, strong. He was, you know, it was hard to get him to crack a smile. And then he moved very stealthy i would say just like in his line of work so i decided and in our favorite well i guess one of the best memories like our favorite week of the year was always august um for shark week we always like sat down and watched shark week we had a bag of salt and vinegar chips for every night of the week and that was our thing so i decided to give him the name a titanium shark as his code name <sighs> i don't know if he had any code names like his real code names i don't know if he did I, no one has ever told me um but that is the code name i would choose for him
0: Oh, wow. Those are absolutely fantastic. And, um, they're very meaningful. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to think about it and putting thought and, and love into choosing one. So thank you. You know, um, I really hope that we at Iron Butterfly did you all proud because this was a very special episode for us. And we are extremely thankful to the three of you. Um, for you know and it has been an honor to spend the time with you so thank you all for sharing your time for sharing your stories um and we're just thrilled that you chose to share it with us so thank you so much This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly, co-produced by the amazing women of the IC and the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School. To find out more about AWIC, email us at awicpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you'd like the show, please, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we want to thank Amy Shand for making this episode possible, and Wise Wisteria and Maeve Cronin for production assistance. Stay fierce, and we'll talk next time.